This is Konsenshu, the podcast, episode 455, for the week of October 7th, 2018. What's up? Welcome back to Konsenshu, the podcast, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. Konsenshu. Yes, we cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. It's Mike, it's Julian. I- I'm tired. Me too. Uh, the voices will get deeper as the day, the morning, where, what time, where. I agree, yes. <laughs> We've spent uh, the weekend at New York Comic Con uh, doing all the Dragon Ball things that there are to be done and had, times, enjoyment. What you're going to hear this episode is uh, mostly a collection of things that we recorded actually on site at New York Comic Con over the weekend. You're going to hear Julian, you and I, Mike, uh, just talking about what we saw, what we thought uh, as we went from booth to booth and panel to panel and event to event. Uh, We have some short interviews and chats with friends uh, and something very different for this episode. We actually have a a series of interviews with uh, English staff following the the big panel that was, I don't even know what evening that was. was Friday Friday? night. Is that Friday night? Yeah. Uh, Following the big panel. Uh, Unfortunately, the Japanese guests did not accompany them as well, but we did get a chance to speak with the six main English voice actors that were there on the panel. Uh, And so, hey, if we're going to have the opportunity, we'll we'll take it and we'll include it. And that's going to be here in the episode too. Yeah. And um, so we didn't actually record this, but I may have also had a chance to speak to member of the Japanese staff you may may have yes kind of yeah it was uh it was like uh Shenlong granted my wish yes he was up above looking down over you he heard me yeah uh Julian you're gonna hear the entire story <laughs> in the episode itself but uh yeah you had a kind of nice long chat with Masako Nozawa that seems like it's gonna be on Mizumashi TV hopefully this week possibly um Picking Duck said he'd be on the lookout for it and maybe record it for us. Yes. I think stuff kind of spilled out of me slightly embarrassingly, and I don't know what exactly they're going to use. So <laughs> it's going to be a surprise for me and possibly for my wife. So uh, this episode, again, it's going to be a little different in terms of uh, all the on-site audio uh, interviews. Uh, and I'm going to try and do something a little special this episode for the YouTube version. Uh, I'm going to have accompanying photos and even video clips playing in the uh, respective area. Uh, by respective area, I guess I mean video screen. That's that's how this works, right? So uh, we're going to leave it there. We're going to turn things over to, it's kind of like audio blog style for a little bit, and then we get right into just content from the convention floor. So Konzenshu coming at you post live from New York Comic Con. And uh, on the flip side of everything, uh, which is going to be all of our stuff, and then I think we'll wrap up the at convention stuff with the English cast interviews. And it's not going to be everything from those interviews. Uh, I'm going to selectively splice just the the best of the best answers, I think, from everyone. It was, it was, there was a lot of material, and it was uh, loud in the press room there. So going to pick uh, the best answers, the, the best sounding stuff. Uh, and then uh, on the flip side of everything, Julian, you and I will come back and kind of wrap it all up. Sounds good to me. Well, let's get into it. New York Comic Con 2018, Konsenju style. Go. It is, I don't know what day today is. Today's Friday. It's Friday about 9.30 a.m. Uh, we are here at my house. Uh, we have not left yet. But Julian, you actually went to New York Comic Con briefly yesterday and uh, wandered and got lost and got into a bit of trouble. Uh, yeah. 
So I first went down and visited my grandparents and got on a train to go into New York City to check out the venue before our uh, main stuff on Friday. But we had a little trouble at the station. Some, I think we got shunted onto the wrong track or something. So we were a good 20, 20, 30 minutes late getting into Penn Station. So I wandered off to find food. And by the time I got to the convention center, they were closing the show floor for the night. But uh, I still got in. I have a press pass, and I wandered around a little bit with nobody around, so I got to take some pretty good unobstructed photos until they noticed I really shouldn't have been there, and they told me that I should be leaving. You didn't tell me that part. Um, yeah, well, it, I mean, they were gentle about it, but it's like, um, yeah, the the exhibitors have all gone home for the night. You should be going. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to get going shortly, uh, take the train in. Uh, it's going to be my first day there. We're thinking about maybe doing that. Dragon Ball fan meetup down at the the ghetto <laughs> ostracized anime convention side thing down at Pier ninety four was it? I think so. Yeah. It's like a twenty minute walk. I don't know. We'll see. Other than that, we have uh, just the big Dragon Ball panel later today, uh, and then we got some interview stuff after that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I really don't know what the heck we're gonna do today. I think we'll just kind of wander around and see the sights and camp out. Try and get some interviews, maybe convince certain companies to maybe hire me as a translator. <laughs> May have some translations ready to go. Who knows? <laughs> Please, someone just release it. Uh, all right. I think that's it. That's our, our morning report. Yeah, sure. Yes. So we're here at Anime Fest uh, down in the empty pier. <laughs> the Dragon Ball fan uh, meetup, cosplay meetup. Uh, I have uh, Beerus and Whis here with me. Can you guys talk about your costumes a little bit? Yeah, our costumes were um, very, we love, I mean, I love Dragon Ball. This is my mom, and I thought it'd be perfect if we did a, Wii, a little Whis Beerus because no, nobody here is, I mean, it's mostly Goku, so we thought we'd be a little original and... I mean, I love our costumes. We got them online, and but we made them um, the ears, and she also made her ring and her staff, of course. So we had a lot of fun putting a lot of time into this, and I think it turned out great. It looks great, and your makeup looks great, too. <laughs> oh, thank you so much. Yeah, it was a lot of fun doing this, definitely. Nice. Trying to, yeah, up the game, get in the character. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Have a little fun with it. Some beers, and they were amazing. Oh, did you? Are you guys going to the panel today yes, as well? Yes, definitely. You yeah. got to very excited for the Burley panel earlier and then uh, got to meet uh, Beerus and Weiss earlier and that was pretty exciting too. Excellent. So. Right. Well, thank you very much guys. Appreciate it. Thank yeah, you. Thank you. Thank Have you. a great day. Alright, so we're leaving Anime Fest. Yes. Uh, that was sure a thing, huh? It sure was. <laughs> really? You got nothing else? Nothing? Yeah, I mean, it, it's weird that they have this whole thing segregated by about 20 blocks from the main show floor, especially since the actual corporate exhibitors like, you know, Viz and Toy Animation are in the main show floor at the Javits Center. It's just this whole area for basically anime-themed fan art. And- we're, we're down at the pier and there's nothing here. We're crossing the street. Bye. All right, so, Joe, as is typical for us... Wait. Is this still recording? Yeah, it's still recording. Uh, I'm just wandering around, and and I see you. Oh, you're talking to Masako Nozawa? Yeah. I don't know what happened. It just uh, just happened. I don't know. I can't explain it. So I wander around the corner. There's Joe. There's Masako Nozawa. Oh, there's Julian standing beside them. And Julian being Julian, he, he waits. He waits for his perfect moment. He just slides right in. 
and just starts talking Japanese and they're like, oh, oh yes, please, please come here, come on camera for an extended interview. So Julian has left with, I don't know, like Nozawa's staff and we don't know where he is or when we're going to see him again. <laughs> Any other comments on this momentous occasion? No, I can't speak. My hands are shaking. I, she came up to me and there was a camera in my face and um, they were just like, do you know Nozawa? And I was like, yes. And the first thing that came to my mind, I was like, she's a legend. And then she humbly was like, you know, no, I'm not, but whatever. And I told them, even though I'm from America, I watched, you know, Dragon Ball in Japanese as a child, and, or as a teen at least. And she translated to her, and that was basically it. And I just... She walked away, I turned my head, and there was Julian. And I was like, of I was like, what is happening? So that, that just happened, yeah. All right, well, we don't know what we're going to do next. So th that was that. Oh, here comes Julian. All right, Julian's back. So you, I, I don't know, you just kind of slid in and started talking. Uh, yeah, well, I said that, um, well, number one, that I speak Japanese and that uh, Nozawa was obliquely responsible for uh, my meeting my wife because without Dragon Ball, I would never have decided to study Japanese and I would never have ended up in Japan. So I, I was very thankful to her for that. Okay, well, there's, there's clearly more here. Yes. So what else happened? Well, so I told them, you know, a little bit about myself, what I did, and then in middle school I came upon Dragon Ball. I'm not sure exactly what attracted me, but I feel like it was uh, sort of destiny, if you will. Yeah. And so I studied Japanese, I went to Japan, I lived there for about eight years, and I met my wife and I have kids. And a little bit about what I do, which is, I think I already said that. But, you know, um, so that was, that was um, exciting and extremely nerve-wracking. I'm glad we came back. Yeah, uh, I would say my life is made at this point. Yeah, I, I guess we're good. Uh, well, sure, we'll go to the panel, but yes, whatever. Oh, I asked her uh, how it felt to be facing off against uh, Bean Shimada again, and she said, uh, uh, you know, it was exciting, and, you know, it was one thing, all the, all the voice actors are very good friends, but they have to get into that mindset when they're fighting. Yeah. I wasn't sure how much I could say about uh, Bardock, because that technically hasn't been officially shown off yet. Well, I mean, it was officially posted online. And then taken down. Was it? I think so. No, the official one's up. Oh, it is now? Okay. I don't know. It's been a blur the last couple of days for us. Yeah. Anyway, uh, that was that. We're going to do something else now. Bye. Yeah. Uh, basically anything at this point. I, I wouldn't care. All right. So it's, I don't know. I lost the time. Uh, it's a little bit before five o'clock right now. Uh, we ended up, I don't know, what we do after Nozawa stuff. We wandered around a little bit a more. A little bit more, and then we mm. came back to try and get our wristbands for the panel that they still don't have. <laughs> they have no idea what they're doing. <laughs> it's pretty great. That's fine. So we're just kind of hanging out across the street. Um, so, Julian, up on the panel coming up now, we have Masako Nozawa. Yep. Uh, old hat at this point. Right. Whatever. I've <laughs> been there, done that. <laughs> right. uh, Akio Ioku, who... Uh, you've actually met a couple times already, it sounds like. Um, yeah, so I met him in the course of being sort of like the, the cheer squad for the uh, Hokotate quiz. Oh, right, right. And then I ran into him again on the show floor for, um, what was it, uh, Jump Victory Carnival in 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's the one around, yeah. you sent me the bag. I was wondering where the bag came from for that one, but I guess that was you that went to that one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that was fun. Hmm. But yeah, he's he's, you know, he's an editor. He's in charge of the Dragon Ball Room situation now. So he's become more and more important to the franchise. But he's the kind of uh, unassuming character you wouldn't notice if you didn't know who he was. So he sometimes wanders around events. Yeah. Just put myself on the spot. Do you remember who the other replacement for director is? 
Uh, Nagamini is the director, right? Right. Oh, who was it? Oh, God, we're so bad. It's not Hayashida, is it? Might be. It could be, yeah. <laughs> I don't remember. Oh, well. Uh, and then we're going to have on the English side uh, Sean Schemmel, Chris Abbott, Monica Rial, Jason Douglas, Ian Sinclair, and Vic Mignogna. Does that sound like everyone? That sounds pretty much like it. Those are all the, the big ones for yeah. the dub side. Uh, what are you expecting from the panel? Do you even have any idea? I'm assuming they're going to show us the trailer that's been floating around the internet the past couple of days. Yeah, probably dub version of it. Most likely. I, I would assume just because it's New York and yeah. not Japan. But I mean, it's nice that we have the Japanese side of the staff there. I'm hoping they'll let us uh, ask some sub- substantive questions about um, the movie. Yeah. But we'll see what happens. All right, so that's going to be going on. That goes for, I don't know, like an hour. And uh, yeah. then we got interviews after that, and we'll see how that goes. That's our plan right now. So what else? Well, I don't know. I mean, for me, this is all just icing on the cake right yeah, now. Day's I'm over. Good. It's fine. I'm good. I've already spoken to Nozawa. <laughs> all right, so uh, that's it for now. We'll check in again uh, post-panel, post-interviews. All right, it's, uh, what day is today? I have no idea what day Saturday. Today's Saturday. <laughs> Saturday, October 6th. Uh, we're out to lunch. Uh, Albert, my uh, occasional um, bailing out guy. <laughs> uh, and Bryce are here. Uh, Albert, you had a Dragon Ball story. You started telling it. I'm like, no, stop, wait. And then we'll talk about it on the show. So uh, you had something quasi in mind you were looking for? You weren't looking for it? And- yeah, so... Basically, I was just uh, sprawling around the dealer's room um, looking at different types of video game dealers. Um, Usually, there's a fair amount of them this year that tend to have a bunch of vintage games, particularly around the NES and SNES variety. And I stumbled upon this one dealer who had a bunch of really uh, rare NES games. And they kind of hit me that I was kind of thinking like, you know what? Maybe I should pick up uh, an old game that was technically the first Dragon Ball game that it was ever released over here. And for those of you who don't know, the first Dragon Ball game that was released over here wasn't exactly called Dragon Ball. It was actually called Dragon Town. So I began looking, and literally by the first chance I got, I saw a copy of Dragon Power. Now, as I was blazing at it and saying, ooh, I should get a copy of that. Uh, this one guy swept in and grabbed it. <laughs> and while he was sprunkling around, he also got a copy of Fist of the North Star on NES, which is another game I was thinking about getting as well, but I ultimately wanted Dragon Ball. Alright, hold on, let me pause you there. Have you played either of these games and, and know anything about them? So, I have played the original version of the uh, the Japanese version of Dragon Power. Alright. Um, through uh, NES emulators, so I have played that. So uh, I'm familiar with the game and how it plays. Uh, I might have dabbled a little bit in the original NES version, um, but I don't remember clearly. I just remember that I won the original Japanese version, so I played that one. Anyway, so uh, as this guy, you know, grabbed both Dragon Power and Fist of the North Star, he was like looking around, and I'm just standing there, just like moping, but like, oh, and. <laughs> Uh, he, I guess, all, for some reason, he changed his mind and ultimately put it back. And I'm all of a sudden started perking up again. So I was like, ooh, okay. So I swept in, grabbed a copy, and he was selling it for 10 bucks. And I was, like, realizing, you know what? Maybe I could probably haggle a little bit with this guy, maybe. 
get it down for a cheap price. And so I asked the guy, hey, um, any chance you could probably do this for five? And he does the typical thing that every video game dealer does. They go on eBay, yeah. check the pricing to see what the market price is on, on there. Yeah, yeah. And for those of you who don't know, like you can easily find a loose copy for like anywhere from like eight to ten dollars easily. Um, completed box will cost you like about me like around fifty dollars to hundred dollar range, depending on the condition. Um, so after like well, like five minutes on his phone, he was just like, um, and I'm at the same time I'm like, really? <laughs> uh, he finally just said, yeah, sure. All right, no problem. Yeah, so grab a copy for five bucks. Awesome. And I was a happy camper. So. Yeah. And that's your story. Yeah, that's my dragon power story. Thank you. Julian, we are at the Bampresto World Figure Coliseum 2018 booth. We're looking at figures, and I'm like, yeah, let's just spend, I don't know, $2,000 on everything. Yeah, it's interesting to see. So they've been having this World Figure Coliseum or Zokei Tenkaichi Budokai thing going on a couple of years now. This is the different sculptors taking these ideas and sort of bringing them to life in 3D. And I found, um, maybe you have too, a little bit that certain sculptors apparently just really appeal to us because we keep gravitating towards ones and then the name next to them we go oh it's the same person so there's one that you really like which was uh, by Manabu Yamashita which is the uh, Goku as Sun Wukong right right which uh, Toriyama drew an illustration of in the manga and I looked at another one and said, oh, it's the same guy. <laughs> uh, another one I seem to like is Hiroyuki Nakazawa, which is a very cute lunch figure with her um, brandishing a gun very threateningly and another one of uh, Goku in a Kamehameha pose. Yeah. So I guess um, we, we just gravitate towards that particular style. These are just so good looking. I, I don't have the words to describe these figures. They, they just feel like they're on a different level than some of the normal Bompresto stuff. Yeah, they're, they are re really world class. Uh, you can see why they choose to show them off. They're obviously very proud of the work that's being done here. Yeah. The confusing thing here is everything's on display and it's like you can't buy them here. Maybe they're at another booth or just go online. What? They might be at some of the vendors that are here. There's a few of the Dragon Ball ones that might be available at the Dragon Ball Tour booth, but the person here doesn't know. So we have to go over there and check to find out. Basically. Yeah, I don't quite get that, but uh, they're awesome. <laughs> they look amazing. And uh, I'm going to go drop some money, maybe. All right, bye. <laughs> All right, we, and by we, I mean I, played Jump Force earlier. Uh, you recorded footage of it? More or less. I mean, I did the best I could from the angle. <laughs> uh, I haven't been the hypest on Jump Force. Uh, and everything that I saw pretty much confirmed everything that I thought. It's, yeah, it's, it's a spike game. Yeah, it's, hey, what if all this stuff, but Unreal Engine? Uh, it, it's, it's pretty, but it's ugly. And it just, it definitely feels like action figures in Unreal Engine just slamming themselves together. Kind of. That's, that's my take on it, is it feels like you're playing with your action figures. Yeah, yeah. The controls weren't the most obvious to me, and they had a little placard right there in front to say what everything was, but I kept trying to jump instead of, I don't know, dodging or guarding or something. Uh, I mean, just uh, the, the three rounds that I played wasn't really enough to get a hang of the controls. And I, I play a spike game. I just expect it to play like a sparking game or the Raging Blast game or something like that. Right. I, I don't know. It, it seemed fine for what it is. 
I don't know, frame rate really tanked when they did super moves. Uh, There's probably something that'll get cleaned up towards the end. Uh, it was running on Xbox. Couldn't really tell if it was running on the base model or uh, the One X. Uh, the screens looked beautiful. I don't know. It was Jump Force. It was Jump Force. Yeah. Um, I don't know how much I have to add to that. You did win, though. I did, ultimately, in the end. Uh, my gameplay footage is probably going to be heavily edited over top of this because it was not doing well. <laughs> Maybe I'll show the best of the best, but, yeah, that sure was a game. Yep. Uh, we're here just checking out everything on the Dragon Ball North American Tour. Okay. Uh, obviously, Dragon Ball Super Car Game is huge here right now. <laughs> Top 20 in the world over here. <laughs> you want to be talking? Uh, you're in the middle of a game right now. I'll save room for you, no problem. <laughs> Just tell me about the game a little bit. What's going on here? Uh, so we are demoing um, the Dragon Ball Super TCG. It came out about a year and a half ago. Yep. Um, so we are demoing for Bandai. Uh, we're handing out free decks to anybody who demos with us, as well as an exclusive Goku promo. Um, the game has actually seen a humongous amount of success, more more so than even Bandai had uh, guessed it would. It's been kind of huge. Uh, they actually had a 500-person uh, regional event in California just a month and a half ago. So the game has been explosively popular, um, and it's been really crazy at the booth these last few days. Uh, today and Friday especially, we've had, I think it was over 150 people demo. We've had over 500 people come up, ask us about the game, uh, ask about how they could play. Uh, honestly, we're not selling product, but if we could have sold product, we would have made a killing. Like, it's been crazy how many people have come up and been like, hey, I want to buy product. Hey, tell me about the game. So it's really been insane, kind of. Trading card game, collectible card game, just what are, like, the basic rules of it? Um, so the objective of the game is you start with eight life. For those of you who have ever played... Um, Magic or like uh, Yu-Gi-Oh or Pokemon, it's kind of similar. You start with eight life, which are cards out of your deck. The objective is to reduce your opponent's life to zero uh, through attacking with battle cards. So you attack at your opponent's leader card, and the first person whose life hits zero loses the game. So it's um, it is a playable card game, and it is uh, heavily highly competitive. Uh, like I said, we had a 500-person regional just a month and a half ago, and the regionals are consistently pulling anywhere from 200 to 300 people. So it's been very, which for card games, that's very big. That's nice. a very good number. So, And what do you think the future of this game holds for you? Uh, I think if um, good decisions kept getting made on part of the company and uh, the Dragon Ball Super anime continues as it has been, I think this game has a really bright future. As it stands right now, the game just keeps getting bigger and bigger, so I think this game has a huge future, as well as the Dragon Ball franchise. So, Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're very welcome. We are back. We are still at the Dragon Ball, card, Dragon Ball Super card game here. Uh, I'm told someone may be top 20 in the world here. Country. Yes. Uh, country. Country. World. All right. Hold on. World. Yes. <laughs> okay. We only have one ranking right now, and that's our ranking. Uh, yes, I'm top 20 in KTM ranking, which is permanently right now our ranking. What's your name? Where are you from? Um, my name is Alejandro Sanjao. I'm from New York, New York. Nice. Uh, I've been playing in the competitive scene since last... October. Uh, I've been playing since set two when cell was a thing. Um, personally, from my perspective, the game has gotten way faster. 
the game is very competitive yeah. on the competitive scene. Uh, there's like uh, Bandai does an amazing job making new cars and everything, and the community is also great and welcoming in all of the other cases. Um, as a player, from my perspective, I feel like uh, the game right now has done like super well. The only thing we need is a panelist. Okay. Right. So, what I mean by a balance is like some cards should not be playable because they make the game unfun. They make the game like, like too, too fast that no one can actually interact with each other. So you need like a little more balance in the game a overall. A little more balance okay. in the game, absolutely. Sure. But otherwise, the game is really good. Um, I've I've been to multiple ALGs. I've been to multiple regionals. Uh, I've done very well. Multiple top thirty twos, top sixteens, top eights. Um, I just feel like, honestly, the game is right now in Comic Con. The amount of people I seen come up and like wanting to find out what the game was about, and then come back with me with a starter deck just because they like how they work. Nice. I think that's, I think that's like a stepping st- stone for this. Mm-hmm. You know, because you you don't really see a bunch of card games demoing in the middle of Comic Con. Like that's unrealistic. And you guys are, I don't want to say like right in the front, but you're pretty much right in the front when you yeah. come in here. Like, I I told my. I, the funny joke, right? I told my sister, um, find the big dragon, right? Yeah. <laughs> she said that she couldn't miss it because the whole way it was right there. Yeah. So it was like the fact that we're right here, we're like right where everyone has to walk through. That's also amazing because I've seen people look over, say, I'll be right back, and then come back, right? Nice. we also been, um, we, uh, we have players come, pro- professional players come and play so other people could come watch them, see how the game interacts with each other, see how the meta's looking, you know. Because right now, the meta has shifted a lot because they just did one ban. Okay. They banned one leader. And now the meta has shifted to a, a more fairness. Like, it, it's it's way more interacting. It's way more, you know, consistent. So, from my perspective, I love it right now. All right. So, so your top 20 here. You don't, you don't want to give away too many secrets. What's your overall play strategy right now? Um... My play strategy, every time I go into um, an event, right, no matter what, um, I play with my opponent's head. So what I, what I mean by Sounds that, like a fighting game to me in that respect. Yeah. So basically, you have to, you have to basically brainwash your opponent into yeah. doing things, mm-hmm. and that's how you win, right? So I would sit across from my table, you know, shake my opponent's hand, be humble about it, right? And midway during the game, I'll start talking to my opponent, get him off of his strategy. All right. And that always works. No matter how it works, it always works. Yeah. Okay, so <coughs> players, are, like, they concentrate on their game so that one draw makes them lose their whole game plan. Yeah. I've had players sit across from me and say, like, oh, man, I just forgot. Or, oh, oh, man, I couldn't. I just, I, I, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah. And, like, that's what you want, you know? You want to be, you want to be able to, you know, have a winning game state, but also be kind with your opponent, talk to them. Sure. Because you know, you're doing both. You're manipulating them, but also being friendly at the same time. So no love it. being done. Yeah. That's great. That's great. It's everything I want to hear about gaming, about Dragon Ball, about the community as a whole. That's perfect. It's amazing, man. I, I, I love it so much. I love everyone here. I'm actually volunteering right now, teaching people how to demo. You know, I told Jim, uh, Jim McMahon is the owner of ARG, Auto Reality Gaming. Okay. He's one of the best... Uh, owners I've ever met when it comes to these card games. You know, he runs multiple tournaments. Yu-Gi-Oh, Pokemon, Force of Will, Dragon Ball, right? And he's really close with Bandai now. 
Like, we had our national pricing come in, and it was terrible, right? And Jim made it his objective to make it better. Now, national pricing is 20 grand. You know, they, 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 they're they going to break it down for everyone to eat, like, everyone to be humbled and happy. And I just feel like that's amazing. Like, Bandai actually listens to the players. If, a players, if players are complaining about one thing, Bandai takes care of that. If uh, players are... One more pricing, Bandai takes care of that. That's that's something a company should do when it comes to uh, card games. Because at the end of the day, we all your consumers, okay? And you have to do what is the best interest for us, okay? At the end of the day. That's great. Alejandro, was yes, it? Sir. thank you so much. I appreciate your time. I appreciate your description and your dedication to not just the game, but Dragon Ball. So I'm walking around the artist alley, and there's a lot of names that I just don't know. Chris Claremont wasn't there, so I just kept walking. And I see this kind of amazing series of Dragon Ball prints. Uh, everyone's in this just smiling style that really stuck out to me. Can you uh, tell me a little bit about yourself, your name, where you're from, and uh, what, what's your history of Dragon Ball? Sure. So my name's Kevin Merriman, a.k.a. The Gray Ninja. Um, originally, I'm from Utah, and I'm living in Southern California right now. Uh, just kind of being a concept artist for mobile games and just taking random freelance jobs and doing cons when I can. That's why I'm here in New York right now. Um, the Dragon Ball guy, I mean, I, I, I first saw Dragon Ball in, it's kind of a funny story, I saw it when I was like four, it was on TV, I saw like two minutes of it and I had no idea what it was and it was incredible, and it turned out it was like a movie of, it was the Tree of Might. I was gonna say, it was a three-part Tree of Might in syndication, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, and and I didn't I didn't see any more Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z for like the next like 10 years. Yeah. And then when I saw it again, like it clicked out, like, oh my gosh, it's the thing. And then at that, like I, I was into drawing and stuff, but as soon as I saw Dragon Ball Z for reals and I was conscious of it, I was like, all right, it's time to get serious. And I was, like, copying Goku pictures on the Internet, like, religiously. And that's kind of where it started. Very nice. Very nice. So uh, I, I love this print. I may, like, do another loop around and come back for more. We shall see. <laughs> right. Thank you very much for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure. So cosplay here at the convention has, uh, I feel like it's big, but it's actually not as big as I would have expected it to be. Uh, quite a bit of Dragon Ball. Uh, My Hero Academia clearly dominating the cosplay scene here. Yeah. And like, in order, I don't know, My Hero, Spider-Man, Dragon Ball? Sort of? Kinda. I mean, other superheroes are big up there. But I, have, I feel like uh, My Hero is at least as big as Naruto was 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Uh, Dragon Ball stuff, uh, kind of every character you can think of. Uh, hopefully over top of this, I'll be showing some of the uh, the, the characters we've seen. Uh, ben Amajin Boo, Ben Mr. Satan. Uh, there's a number 21 standing behind us right now. Yeah. Uh, kind of everything, uh, the, the body suits, just the regular off-the-shelf stuff for the Goku outfits. Absolutely. I've, I've seen multiple um, uh, Great Saiyaman and Videl. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Seems to be a pretty popular choice this year much there is to say about the Dragon Ball cosplay yeah. beyond that. It's just nice that it's still out in full force. Yeah, and I mean yesterday we also saw Beerus and Whis, which is nice to see. Oh, that's right. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, that was, that was cosplay. such a, a breadth and variety of characters to choose from. There's something for everyone. That's right. right. 
Julian, we've been here for two days and we're kind of doing a, a repeat tour of the Dragon Ball North America Tour 2018. Yes. Uh, the setup is a little confusing, I'd actually say, because when you first walk into New York Comic Con, you kind of get that, that main setup with the yeah. timeline and the movie trailer on loop on VLC yeah. yes. <laughs> over and over. Uh, some of the manuscript stuff. Now, the, uh, the Toriyama artwork you said you saw a few years ago, right? Yeah, I was at the uh, Kira Toriyama World of Dragon Ball uh, exhibit that they had uh, in a couple of locations in Japan in 2003, uh, in co- uh, coinciding with the release of Battle of Gods. Now, some of those were also on display there as well. I remember seeing the one from, I believe, 1991 of Goku doing Kamehameha, and I mentioned at the time how Toriyama had gone in and used like a little piece of paper to cover up a mistake he made in the hair, and that was clearly visible this time. I had heard them described elsewhere as reproduction manuscripts, but I think they're the real thing. So then you come in a little bit. I mean, that's a cool little setup, but there, there's more to the tour. I thought that was it when we walked in. I was pretty disappointed. But you come in, and they have a, a much larger setup. Shenlong's kind of at the center up above us here. Uh, what we're in front of right now is you can stand up on Kintone and do your little pose. Uh, today, there's a Vegeta crushing his scouter with its over 9,000 behind him. That wasn't there the first day we came here. It's also a Super Saiyan aura you can pose in front of. There's a stand full of food for you to do your Beerus and Whis and Goku and Vegeta kind of group pose, if you will. Uh, there's a Dragon Ball card game stand to the next of, to the next of us here. Uh, lots of figures on display. Yeah. There's the Tenkaichi Budokai ring that you initially saw Masako Nozawa at yes, yesterday. Uh, and I don't know if it's just a it's a magnet for Goku because Sean Chemo was actually just there. Yeah, he was uh, just there sp- posing with a few fans. Posing we, with people. We just saw him walk out. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of stuff all around here. Uh, what do you think about the Dragon Ball North America tour overall setup and the things they have for fans here? I think it's um, it's pretty cool. I, I feel like we could maybe have more people explaining what's going on, but obviously they're trying to build hype. There's a lot of sort of interactive things for people to take their pictures in front of and sort of spread the word, as you might say. Um, there's It's interesting here because they have like these um, figure setups all around that's uh, Bondi related, but Bompresto has his own booth way across the show floor on the other side. Uh, showing off their own wares. So it's kind of like split between these different areas. It's a little confusing. I feel like if they had more unity, maybe space closer together and make a little more sense. I don't know. Um, so in, in addition to that, we do have this uh, Dragon Ball Super card game that they're doing over here. On the other side, they have like fighters uh, going on. Oh, that's on. right. I was so confused because we came in like, yeah, all right, here's fighters. Where the hell is Jump Force? I know Bandai Namco is here with Jump Force. This seems to be all Dragon Ball video games that are pimping legends yeah, there as well. That's on the other side. It's right. at the Bandai Namco booth, which is on the other side of the show floor. It's not clearly related in a way that maybe they should be making more of an effort to connect. Yeah, I don't know if just Dragon Ball is too huge. They don't want everyone here all at the same time, all the time, but... Hey, so that's that. Uh, I'm looking at a staffer in front of me. It looks like the next step on the tour is going to be uh, Dallas Fan Days. Actually, she just walked in front of the sun. Dallas Fan Days, Irving, Texas. Uh, looks like mid-October is going to be the next stop of the tour. Uh, if you're in the area, it's certainly a cool thing to come check out. Lots of photo ops, uh, lots of things to pick up, lots of swag they're passing out. Uh, I keep missing this Broly poster. Uh, there were small ones earlier, and then Joe sent a tweet that there were larger ones and now there's nothing left and now all I have to show for it is 
like handbooks and promotional flyers. Yeah. <laughs> I want the poster. <laughs> yeah. And you're still trying to figure out if they're actually selling any of the figures that we've seen. It's so confusing. They might have them around the corner. We haven't gone that far yet, but we'll right. see. We'll go around the corner. So uh, that's our report for now on the Dragon Ball North America tour. I'm not actually directing Dragon Ball Super, so to be honest, I don't know all of, all of the subtle changes that were made. I do know that we we stick with we stick with the scripts the way they come in. We don't like keep the translations open. I guess do you get the raw Japanese translations? What do you actually get? We get we get a script. We we do have the translations, but it's we find it's impossible to stare at the translation. We only go to the translation when we feel like there's been some sort of clerical error or mistake or like we're not sure we need to get or we need to rewrite something and we want to know what the original intention was or something doesn't feel right. But in all honesty, we just have to trust what the script says. Grand the writers for Dragon Ball Super, a lot of them were still the teams that wrote on Dragon Ball Z. So uh, some of them are trying to kind of make Dragon Ball Super attractive to the Z audiences. You feel like well. there's some of that going on. There might be some of it. Yeah. We also like it's it's also my philosophy, and I, and I can back Raleigh, the director, up on this one too. It's kind of our philosophy of this it, it, when we're in the studio that we feel like we have some liberty to be able to make some changes to the dub, especially now, because so many people like watched the subtitles this time around. Like so many people because they couldn't wait for the dub to come out. A lot of people for super watch the subtitles. So we like to like we like to take opportunities to kind of play with the play with the scripts a little bit if we feel like we have some insight into it. If you have some examples like like I'd love to I'd be happy to discuss it with you. We're, actually we probably don't even no, we don't have time for it. Right. Uh, I have no knowledge whatsoever at all of uh, Dr. Slump. Uh, no, we just want it so bad. I know, I know. It would be bizarre, but I, I, I'd love to see it. I just don't. Do, has anyone even announced having the license for that yet? Because I've seen nothing come across. Discotech did the first five movies, uh, subtitles only. Uh, actually, one of our cohorts helped translate it. So we're hoping that we can get more out of it. We, we just really want more. Okay. It was so exciting fun. to see, especially. Uh, I'll pass that on to Toy because I, I imagine they, somebody's holding on to this. Right, somewhere. A lot of us were shocked to see that uh, Zarina Palencia did that. Yes. She also sang the. Yeah, yeah. Green is an amazing musician, like so. I was very excited that she was able to do both those. She she adapts a lot of the songs for Funimation. Oh, okay. Yeah. As I was saying to other people, I've seen bits of the entire film, and it definitely feels like the Broly movies from before, but or Broly at least one of them, and the Bardock special sort of like focused from another lens yeah. and um, and it's really fascinating how his like close involvement really is. again Dragon Ball Z I never like, I realized it was a good show and it, it, but because there was, there was so much filler and there was so much stuff and, and because we didn't have accurate translations back in those days necessarily yeah. it, it was always hard to tell like who's like 
what was making it so special. But actually working on these three films and working on Super uh, has really shown me that Akira Toriyama's vision is critical to these things. If something ever happens to him, they may, it'd be very difficult to continue without him. You, know? you had a chance to meet him once. I did. I had a very rare chance. I met him at the, the opening of the Shonen Jump magazine. And he was very nervous and very, very sweaty. And if I had known at that point that I would never see him again or how rare of an occasion that was at the time, I'd be a different, like, I would have treated the, the situation a little differently. I mean, I, didn't get to, I wouldn't get to say much more, but I would have really tried to remember every single moment clearly. But I'm like, ah, oh, I'll see him again. But I'd never, I never saw him again. I never will. I'm so glad the way that it worked out for me because, like, in the beginning of Kai, I was so concerned about making sure that the transition between Tiffany and I was very smooth. Right. So I watched a lot of Tiffany. I tried to kind of pay homage to her. Um, and then when the Boo Saga came along with Kai, I was like, okay, I've paid homage. I think everybody's comfortable now. I'm going to start to kind of do my own thing a little bit. Let's let's shake it up a little bit. Um, and then when Super came along, I was like, sweet, this is me. All yeah. right, now I can totally make her my own. Um, and that's been awesome. I, I don't know how it would be different if I had had the big break that everybody else has had. Yeah. That's got to be a little more difficult to go back to something that's, you know, continuation when you haven't been doing it for a while. And for them, they've actually re-recorded the same thing. 300 times. Right. And I think for a lot of them, Kai was exciting because it's like, oh, hey, we can revisit this stuff we did years ago. Yeah. Maybe like, we're better actors now, we've had a lot more experience. But for me, it was literally like, holy crap, I'm a Dragon Ball. Yeah. <laughs> like, I've got to like, gotta step up to the plate and make sure that I'm not going to like look like a weirdo with all of these people that have been doing it for 20 years at that point. But yeah, I've loved it. And Bulma is by far one of my favorite characters because she's so strong and everything and I really love that over Super we've seen more of their relationship you know Vegeta and yeah. and I love that her strength that she's become kind of this pillar of strength for everybody so, uh, well the Sarmal Dubs have been fast and furious so as actors it's been very strange because before what would happen is you would get all of the materials you'd have the entire season you'd have all of the episodes so you could watch ahead of time and know kind of where your character was going or where the story was going now we're we're lucky if we get a cast list with actual names on it. It's like, surprise, you're the bad guy. Surprise, you're in the show. Yeah, you never know. So that's been a little tricky. And I used to do ADR script adapting as well. I used to do the dub scripts. And when I did that, it was really hard because you'd have shows like My Hero where they try to simul like the exact same day come out. But you're so dependent upon materials from Japan. So if Japan is late on anything whatsoever, we look like the bad guys. Because it's like suddenly you have to wait two weeks for an episode of my hero. So it's changed in that sense. Everybody's a little more high-strung. High um, for the actors, it's weird because you would also, before you would get called, like, hey, we're going to do 24 episodes of the show. You're, you're going to have 40 hours that you need to record, but we could do it over six weeks. Now they're like, hey, we need to record this episode by the end of the week. You've got 10 hours. Are you coming in Tuesday? And then maybe Wednesday? And then, So it's much quicker. And it is hard because every three months now, 
our entire schedule changes. So it's not like before where you could kind of work it into whatever you already had. Now it's like three months and you start all over with a different schedule. So it's been challenging, but I I like the, the challenge because I've been doing this for such a long time. It's nice to have a new challenge. One thing I wanted to thank you for actually was um, we recently lost Hiro Misudu and you you had some nice words thank about you. that. Yeah, I was really appreciative for that. Thank you. To see that. Um, you, it sounds like you've actually played a couple of her roles before. Yeah, it's, I mean, I've been doing it for a while. So you end up hearing the same say you, even Aya Hasekawa, who is the right, new right. Bulma. We played very many roles <laughs> yeah. together. So it's interesting because even though I've not met them, and unfortunately I didn't get the chance to meet her, I mean, I really wish I had. Even though I haven't met them, you get this kind of weird kindred relationship with them. Because you do, you hear them every time you go into the studio. And so to me, Hiromi's voice, like, that's just what I was used to. That's Bulma. That's how you get it. That's what I'm emulating. Um, so I was really sad when I heard about her passing. I had a, a moment that was probably my, my favorite moment I've had at a convention. I was there with the, I'm not going to say his full name because I will butcher it, but the Japanese voice actor for Frankie in One Piece. Oh, sure. And he pulled me aside and through a translator told me that he was a very good friend of Hiromi's, that they had done a lot of uh, plays and stuff together, they had done a lot of theater together, and he said, I've watched you with your fans, and you're so nice to them, and you give them a moment of, your, you give them a piece of yourself. He's like, Hiromi would be so proud of you, and I went, so, I mean, that is one thing that I'll never forget, and I'm sad that I never got the opportunity to meet her, but I'm hoping hoping that someday, even if I have to go to Tokyo and just knock on doors, I'm like, I hate to come. But thank you for that. It really did hit me. It's funny, because you don't think it's going to hit you that hard. Like we felt this, the same so. way, yeah. But yeah. then you realize, oh my god, that really hurt. Like, yeah. It really hurt bad. It's a tough one. Yes. Um, but, um, yeah, in terms of movies, you can't tell us much about it. Yeah. Jealous about the movie? No, I haven't seen anything, and yeah. except for the images. Yeah. And I will say, Bulma's design, the little milk outfit, yeah, right? totally cute. I was like, all right, I'm digging this. But then I also saw her. I know they go to a cold place because right, right. then I saw her in her cold gear, and I'm like, that's cute. Can we go back to the milk outfit? Because I really like that one. <laughs> but I was just happy to be a part of it because that's the thing is right now we're recording um, the tournament art right. and the grand tournament and I know I'm, you're nowhere <laughs> I'm really sad these days I'm like where's Paul so I was very excited to hear that that's coming very soon I'm like oh finally yeah. I'm feeling sad but yeah it's great I'm excited to see it what I saw that was the first time I've seen the trailer so I was like and I like origin stories yeah I, well, I'm so comfortable with the character now, and the character's been so clearly fleshed out, and you have so many new characters. I don't approach it necessarily any differently, other than, you know, I'm, I'm, as the character's gone on, you know, I, I started on Z, and that, that Goku script, that script was not uh, true to the Japanese, so ever since we did Kai, and in particular Battle Gods Resurrection F, I've gotten heavily involved in making sure that when the adapt, writers write for Goku, that uh, uh, we stick close to the 
Japanese as possible because I, I it took me a long time to understand the character because I did not get to have a conversation with the Kiritayama. He said, well, you could have read the manga. I don't trust the translators that do that, uh, although I'm sure they're fine translators. Um, I want, I, I'm such a purist that I'm like, the only way I'm going to get this translatorized is if I have a nice conversation with Masuka Nozawa or Akira Toriyama or I learn Japanese. I don't trust all these other interpreters interpreting the manga, interpreting this. I don't trust it because I'm really finicky about language. Um, I was, I'm bilingual in another language, but I, 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 I don't... And I've seen manga translations when I go look, I'm like, that's not the same meaning of that English word. That is not the same. So as I've gotten um, closer with Super and with Battle of Gods and Resurrection F, I've, I've really tried to make sure that we hone in on what Goku really is. And there have been, there have been tidbits of advice I've seen from Akira Toyama online, such as Goku's not necessarily an altruistic hero. He likes fighting the strongest no matter what. And if the Earth gets saved as a result of that, he found that an interesting character. That is very different than a Jesus-like Messiah who's going to save everybody no matter what. And that is what I wanted to portray because Akira Toriyama thought of it. In other words, I'm a huge believer in respecting the artist. And I was frustrated that the powers that be back in the day were more interested in making money to sell the show, which I understand their position. If I sunk millions of dollars into a company, I would want to make my money back. I didn't understand that at the time. I was such an artist. I'm like, screw the money. I'm like, well, it's kind of important. So now that I understand money better and I understand it, I still think you can serve both masters. I still think that, and I've always argued, it's so funny because I remember when it was going down, I remember having so much faith in the power of storytelling and the power of Akira Toriyama's story that when we were doing scene, it wasn't exactly like the Japanese. I remember thinking, trust me, if you got, they didn't trust that audiences would get it. As if you trust this story, it will be epic and amazing. And then when we did Kai, and I finally got to see pure scripts, I was like, it all clicked in my head. Like, oh, no wonder this show's so popular. Look at this Goku Vegeta dynamic. Look at this history here. Oh, look at this character. Oh, I see why the, duh, you guys should have listened to me. But they're not, they're not, you know, at fault necessarily because you're, you got, when you're making a show, there's always 2020 hindsight. So you got all your pieces in front of you. You got your skill set that you got at the time. You got the money you got at the time. You're doing the best you can and making judgment calls about a future, i.e. will people buy this and like it, in English, you got to make your choices. And they made their choices. And it worked. I mean, it worked well enough to keep the show alive to where now we do super. It's very, very close. The scripts stay very, very close to Japanese scripts. Um, which is why I think the show sells so well, because the storytelling is so good. And the character design is so good. And, and, and frankly, our cast is really good. I'm really proud of our cast. And so there's, there's that. You know, It all comes together. For 15 years, fans have asked me, oh my gosh, I love Broly. When is he going to come into the Prime Universe? <laughs> I don't know, man. I'd love for him to come in, but what do I know? So when I heard this was coming, I was very excited. Because I, I was, I've always been proud to be a part of Dragon Ball. In whatever way. Um... But I didn't expect I didn't expect him to show up. So when I heard that he was, I I was probably one of the most jazzed people about it around. There is always an an evaluation period where and and I'm sure you probably know this, but in a property like Dragon Ball Z, the Japanese company that owns it has a great deal of say in the characters. Yeah. 
and the voice on it. As well they should. They care a lot about it. They want to make sure it's done the way they want it. So, there is always a period like this when the Japanese and the American company, Formation, will kind of have a powwow and decide, do we want to try to make some huge monumental change here, or do we want to kind of keep it familiar? What can I tell you? I'm extremely, extremely glad that they kept it familiar. Because even if the character is different in some way, I think it's a good idea to have it be the same voice that people remember as Jerry. You know what I mean? Yeah. I personally think that's a good idea. And then, you know, if you get somebody else to do it, you get into the whole, well, I like the other guy better, or I like this guy better. Why even go there? Just have it be the same voice. Um, the voice was well received when it was done before, so hopefully it will be well received. Sure. I've heard tell that um, that they've they've fleshed out his backstory a little bit, and that it'll be a little bit more interesting than oh, the baby next to him was crying when he was, you know, Goku was laying next to him in the in the. Uh, crib and made him crazy. So I'm, I'm excited that this is, from what I understand, Toriyama's vision, right? Uh, he didn't, if I understand correctly, he didn't have a lot to do with the Broly movies, the original Broly movies. He, he provided design. A, a character design. Yeah, but a, a, a story or whatever, he wasn't as involved with those. So I'm really excited that he's more hands-on for this incarnation of Broly. I, you know what, you guys, I'm a big fan myself. I'm a Star Trek fan. I'm a sci-fi fan since I was a little boy. So I get the fandom. I understand it. You know, there's some people that are like, you know, there's some some people in the industry that they just maybe they wanted to be an actor or they got a gig and they played the gig, but they're not they're not a nerd. They're not a geek themselves. They're not. They you wouldn't catch them dead at Comic Con. That's just not their thing. Not so with me. I I would go to conventions as a little boy, sci-fi conventions and Star Trek conventions. I dressed up in my Jedi robes for, uh, for the premiere of, of Episode One and Two. Um, went to Star Wars celebrations. I mean, I so to go to conventions and meet fans is one of my favorite things to do, and I I am so humble and so honored that that there are these people that love my work the way I loved other people's work when I was young. Um, so yeah, I, I do a lot of convention appearances for that reason, because I love because I love interacting with the fans. I love to see their incarnations of their fandom. Right. Like we, we can only do so much. Like so music what do videos. Do? Music videos and cosplay and all art, drawing, stories, all the ways that they express their love of their family. Um, I know that there are people out there that are that are uh, intense 
in a negative way. But my overwhelming experience has been positive. I, I love to see people passionate about almost anything. I could sit and listen to a guy talk passionately about his stamp collection. If he's passionate about it. I would probably sit there and go, I would probably sit there and go, wow. I, knew, I had no idea. So I thought they were stamps. This guy's into it. You know what I mean? So I, I appreciate the passion and the intensity. Makes the world go round, man. You know? If all you do is go to your job, go home, go to sleep, get up, go to your job. You know what I mean? It's the passion and the intensity for things in your life that give your life joy. Luis has been very interesting because he is he is he has stepped back and is is a spectator and is tickled pink by the entire thing. He finds the, these little monkey boys and their slap fights are, are adorable and hilarious to him. But I think that we've seen little hints here and there at my theory, and it's just a theory. Which is that uh, Weiss is training up Vegeta to be the next destroyer. But it's just a theory. He, he mentions it when he said, oh, I'll train you if you'll be a, a destroyer one day. Um, Weiss, as the, the show goes, plays a lot of different roles. Because he's just attendant, and then he's mentor, and then he's commentary, and then he still shifts more when he starts mentoring specifically Goku before the big fight. And... Um, Man, I'm just glad he's still in it. I'm just thrilled he's still there. Uh, I adore him. I think he's, he's, as a fan, I think he's just a really neat addition to it. He's a different sound. He's a different energy than anyone's had. Um, and he's kind of like, like we as fans, we get to sit back and say, wow, isn't that fight cool? That's what he's always doing. And so that's always cool for me. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been really cool watching... I want to do something like him grow from this, this this being that had no knowledge of this planet and could not care less and actually caring about it yes for selfish reasons but um, it's been neat it's been neat watching his journey I well so my in general theory with Dragon Ball and I've been telling everybody so I can make sure that my theory gets out and my friends don't claim it as theirs um, is that we're going to find a lot about more about the gods and angels if it you know if we get to continue because uh, Whis has made repeated references to how Goku um, or to to how Vegeta might end up pretty upset if he finds out that Beerus is the reason the planet Vegeta is, is gone. So my thought is that we're going to start exploring that. And I've been saying if my Bulma Vegeta was able to put Beerus on the ropes back then before he trained with Whis, after training with Whis, that might be a, a legit fight. And at that point, if breaks up, well then does someone become the new destroyer, and I think the angels because they are so strong, and they haven't really been explored, I think it may be one of the next places they can go, because where do you go after that? I mean, we, we said that 20 years ago, like, where do you go after Majin Buu? Right. Oh, other universes, gotcha. Aliens, demons, Aliens. yeah, yeah, it makes sense. Totally. Genies, sure. Sure, sure. Everything but the kitchen sink. That's coming next. He fights that next. Dragon Ball, kitchen sink. Man, uh, it's insane. It is, it is weird and insane. Um, 
I'm honored to even like get to be on the stage, you know. And everybody thinks that that's just kind of this weird like shtick that I'm doing. And I'm like, no, I'm losing my mind. I met Masako today. Um, I try not to remind my friends, but at a certain level of the night, like certain time of the night, I do lean into like Chris or Sean, and I'm like. I love you. I watched you when I was a kid. You're old. I love you. Thank you for this job. Um, it's... I couldn't have... I, honestly, there's nobody that I would have preferred to be in Super than Weiss. He's Because he's so much like me. And he's so much fun. It doesn't feel real. This conversation doesn't feel real. I've... I've this is all absurd and weird like I just want to talk to people about Dragon Ball <laughs> and I get on these panels with like six Dragon Ball actors that have done it forever and they got their answers and I'm like whoa, 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 whoa. when you were recording that how did you do this thing and they're like um well we were layering and it was like oh that's awesome I really like that and then I have to <clears throat> so which is why on that Broly panel I'm just like be reserved act cool dude act cool I don't think I yeah. Yeah. I go, oh, man, I'm trying. I'm trying. I'll, I get to have beer tomorrow. There you go. I could use a yingling right now, man. And it's warm. I can't get yingling down south. Yeah. So. I'm from Jersey. It's so easy. It's great. I, and, okay, thank you for. Because I always feel like I'm like, is this the crap beer up here? Because I mentioned yingling and everybody's like, oh, no, bro, you got to try something else. And I'm like, I'm a craft beer snob, but yingling, it's so good. Do it. Thank you. Thank you, Mark. You guys are awesome. My pleasure. My pleasure. First of all, it was a complete surprise to me um, from the standpoint of, I mean, I've been doing anime for nearly 20 years, okay? Um, I've done a lot of roles and uh, some really shows that I was uh, fond of. Uh, but, you know, Dragon Ball was always on a whole other level of fandom and, and just exposure and sort of worldwide recognition. Um, and to get to, to get to join the cast at all is, is just kind of a special feeling. Um, for, a lot of, for a lot of actors, it's a bucket list thing. I mean, it's, it's you know, there are actors in this room who were fans of the Dragon Ball franchise uh, when they were when they were growing you know when they were younger and so uh, to get to do uh, to get to do a role like that I think for me it would be like maybe getting to join uh, the cast of Star Trek or something something I grew up with and, and getting to join and so so but not only to get to join a cast like that but get to do a role uh, so well so well conceived well written and well animated as Beerus uh, to do that character in this show is really kind of a double um, it's an incredible privilege so when they debut a character in a video game we really have very little to go on and and, and also you don't it's not like you get a note saying hey this is going to be a really important character in an upcoming feature or whatever and here's his backstory I and mean, really what you get are just those the fighting you get the, you know you get the animation 
And you, you know, sometimes you get the Japanese voice acting performance. That doesn't really tell you anything about who the character is. Video games, in some ways, I mean, particularly uh, for the Dragon Ball, it, it, in some ways they depend on you kind of already having familiarity with the characters. Um, but that's not the case in, in some cases when a, when a character is introduced in a video game. So I think, as I recall, like my performance as Beerus in that game was a bit different than what we ended up doing for Battle of Gods. I can't even remember specifically, but I just feel like it wasn't as well, maybe as well um, uh, contoured as it is now. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, the way I've always worked, really out of necessity, it's not so much out of preference, uh, is that when I'm doing a character for the first time, I have an opportunity to be in the booth, watch a few scenes, get familiar with the rhythms and the way he's animated, um, and, and, you know, how, how is the writing? Is it something I'm connecting with? Is it, is it well translated? Um, there's a kind of a short window of time that you have to kind of find the voice, and um, and but I think with Battle of Gods, we we spent some time doing it, and that was it was it was really great to do Battle of Gods, and then get to go on and do Bag uh, you know um, Resurrection F, and then go on to do Super, because um, by the time we got to Super, uh, we knew what Beerus was all about, you know. So at this point, we're just sort of growing. Well, it's interesting because they, they both have these... You can see where they're similar. They both have these ravenous appetites and, and, and they're impulsive. Uh, and so you can definitely see the, the... You can definitely see the genetic connection there. Um, sort of physically and all... But just in also the personality. But it's interesting because it also kind of makes Beerus a little bit more... A bit clearer. He's not a slob. He's not... Um, He's he's got at least a sense of dignity and standards that, at least from his perspective, Champa maybe doesn't have. Um, uh, so I don't know. For me, it's 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 great because it, at least for me, it helps to it helps to better define who Beerus is by seeing kind of a family member who is very different you know, in, in, in in some ways. So I mean. There's a certain way that you could speculate that with Beerus, he's sort of amoral. In other words, there's there's not, it's not, it's not, he's not clearly good or clearly evil. Um, but I think the thing to remember with Beerus is that he has a certain role that he plays uh, in the in the universe. He plays an important role, um, at least as defined in in the Dragon Ball sort of mythos, right? Um, he is a destroyer god. Um, and in the Dragon Ball universe mythos, destroyer gods exist exist out of necessity. Things have to be destroyed so that new things can be created. And and so, in some ways, I think that a character like Beerus is meant to show that you there is a channel for that whatever energy one has, there's a channel for it. If Beerus had a rage energy at some point that was chaotic and needed to be channeled, he's, n he's now in sort of the perfect, uh, he's in the perfect role to kind of um, express that, right? Um, and I think that, you know, I, I think, I've said this before, but I think part of the danger for, for Beerus is 
if he begins to get control of whatever that rage was and he begins to soften, is he still effective as a destroyer? Can he continue to be effective as a destroyer? Are there other characters within the Dragon Ball universe that we know well that have a lot of rage energy that need to be that needs to be harnessed and could be utilized in service of a destructive, you know, a, a god of destruction. And so that's why we sometimes speculate on the future of Goku and Vegeta as they become more powerful. So, um, anyway, those are my thoughts. I mean, I don't really know what kind of stuff that they would have in an off year when there's not a big thing coming out. Yeah. Uh, the booze for Viz and Funimation appeared to have some pre-release stuff, but they were mostly selling things. There weren't people there to talk to uh, on the show floor. Yeah, And even we went over to Bandai Namco where we got a chance to play Jump Force. Right. And we went through the Bon Presto booth where we saw a lot of interesting figures that they didn't actually have for sale. Yeah. They're just there to look at. Yeah. So in terms of actual you know, material for the site, I think it might be sort of a bust if there weren't such a big push specifically for Dragon Ball. Yeah, the movie kind of lend itself to, all right, that's the catalyst for, let's bring the tour across the country, uh, having the stop here. Uh, it was all very, very cool to see and see in person, see up close. But yeah, I'm wondering, were it not for the movie, could there possibly be enough Dragon Ball stuff that wouldn't just be at any given anime convention? Right. I mean, you go to an anime con, Bandai Namco is going to be there. You'll be able to play Jump Force somewhere else. Uh, like when I went to AX, whatever, year or two ago and played Fighters there. Like, they, they bring those things to regular anime conventions. So that's not New York Comic Con exclusive. I think the, the Dragon Ball stop for this particular place was the big exclusive. Uh, the big panel Friday evening was the big exclusive. Masako Nozawa has only been to America, I think, three times. And we've actually had content you at all three times. I think initially it was a Hawaiian convention. Jake went to that one. And it was Animazement, uh, 2013, I think it was. I was there. Uh, and then now for New York Comic Con, the two of us got to go there as right. well. So uh, that, that's pretty exciting. I mean, she's a big get, and that's a, a that's huge. Yeah. Uh, so other than that big panel and the tour stuff, like you, it was just. And New York Comic Con in general, this is the first time I've ever been to a Comic Con, an actual Comic Con, branded Comic Con. Uh, and to me, it really felt like, oh, yeah, American stuff is big. It is nowhere as big as anime. It felt like an anime convention to me, through and through. Absolutely. I mean, you had your superhero costumes and stuff, but there was a ton of anime stuff. I was kind of shocked at just how big My Hero Academia has gotten. Yeah. It's like, the Naruto of 15 years ago. For sure. And um, yeah. It, and it, the fact is the dealers area very much felt like a traditional comic book convention. People yeah, Selling sure. like golden and silver age comics and, you know, random things in boxes, you know, filed away in their little plastic sleeves. And at the same time, you have these major, major corporate uh, presenters doing all sorts of stuff. It's it's interesting. You kind of have this disconnect. And it, it seems weird that, as you heard earlier with us complaining, they had a lot of the anime stuff sort of segregated away 20 blocks from the main convention. Oh, side. yeah, their, their side ghetto convention, for sure. It's like, um, I'm, I'm not sure with the kind of people you're attracting if that's the best solution. 
Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Is it just the refusal on the part of the the organizers and the American industry that, sorry, you guys have been taken over? There's just, look at the actual sales figures. If you included manga sales figures and comic sales figures, there would be no American comics on the sales list. <laughs> right. And, and the fact is, maybe if they need more space, they need to think about where else they can go in, at a yeah. venue. I mean, the Javits Center is pretty big, mm-hmm. but I don't know where else uh, is of similar size they might have in the area. Yeah, you're right. It, it is big. And even then, I feel like I've been to bigger conventions. I mean, even Oticon had to move from uh, Baltimore to D.C. for for its size uh, and also some construction promises that were going on in that area, too. Yeah, it didn't feel like the biggest thing I've ever been to, but it was certainly pretty big. Yeah. So that was New York Comic Con. Uh, I'm glad we went. We had a wonderful time. Saw a lot of cool things. I'm glad we got to share everything that we, we saw and we did here. Uh, we'll see if we go next year. I'm, I'm hoping that uh, you know something like the tour can continue if the movie revitalizes things. Uh, maybe Dragon Ball can stay strong for another couple of years uh, with, with this kind of presence. Maybe. I mean, it has its uh, really big years and its fallow years. And- yeah. You know, I think you need kind of both to keep the franchise fresh. I agree. But, yeah. you know, it'd be nice to see something like this again. Yeah. Maybe in the near future. All right. So that was New York Comic Con 2018, Kanzenshu style. Uh, that was Julian. My name is Mike. www.kanzenshuu.com. That is kanzenshu.com. That is the central location for everything that you have seen and heard and read all about right now and continue to read and listen and watch uh in the future i'm really tired it was a long weekend it's still the weekend (laughs) yeah Uh, i was exhausted especially after friday recovery day man uh all right julian uh why don't you wrap it up we'll see everyone next time final words (laughs) 